0: Welcome to Today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep
1: employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon.
2: During an earlier episode, we had a great discussion with Dr. Wesley Clark, an expert in public health about the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic and its far-reaching impact on the communities, businesses, and overall economy of the United States and across the globe. We learned that the very new and novel nature of this deadly virus has caused the scientific community to go into overdrive, finding ways to detect it, prevent it from spreading and treating the virus today dr clark is back on the show to give us an update on the new scientific information about the virus and implications for today's workplace so we want to extend a warm welcome to dr clark and say to you all welcome back to today's workplace
0: ah thank you yes welcome back to today's workplace dr clark You know, it's fair to say that our understanding of how COVID-19 spreads has evolved since March of this year. I think of all the precautions folks were taking at the um, grocery store and those rituals before bringing food inside. And that doesn't seem to be the preferred approach to avoiding contracting the disease now. When we spoke a few months ago, there was a new theory that had developed as to how COVID-19 spreads the theory that the COVID-19 virus spreads as an aerosol rather than droplets. Help us understand what the latest thinking is about how the virus spreads.
1: Well, uh, according to the CDC and others, the virus is still spread through uh, person-to-person contact. Um, Aerosols uh, are now deemed uh, suspect And people are advised to invoke the same basic measures that we've been traditionally uh, addressing from um, earlier this year. Uh, So it is now known that if you're in a closed space with poor ventilation, uh, and you've got somebody who's infected, that person's uh, projectile, either coughing, sneezing, or even talking, depending on how uh, forceful their speaking patterns are, that 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 can carry. uh, But the six feet uh, distancing is still uh, the prevailing notion, one, and two, um, wearing a mask is still deemed the best approach to protecting you from exposing other people and being exposed yourself. So, despite the awareness that aerosols are an issue, um, the the most important thing is that people are um, protecting themselves and others by social distancing and wearing a mask. Um, The notion of disinfecting your workspace, it's still relevant because, again, you don't know who was there before. we're finding that the virus can live on hard surfaces for a longer period of time. Although again, that does not seem to be the controlling or the most prevalent way that people are getting infected. They're getting infected from super spreader events where a lot of people in close proximity, um, or they've got at least 15 minutes of contact with uh, someone who's infected. Um, Those are things that, Uh, that we have to keep in mind. So disinfecting heart services is still appropriate. Social distancing is still appropriate. Wearing a mask is still appropriate.
2: So I guess next we want to ask a little bit about some of the the popular methods and you mentioned a couple of them being used to mitigate the virus spread like uh, contact tracing, social distancing, wearing a mask and um, either quarantine or shelter at home. How effective over time have those shown to be in um, you know, really controlling the virus spread?
1: Well, they've actually been quite effective. The problem with some of these strategies is that uh, we may have pandemic fatigue, which is that you're dealing with the behavior of the average person um, being able to conform your behavior to those um, what people see as constraints on your behavior uh, is uh, turning out to be a complication. Um, If you follow those basic guidelines, we were able to flatten the curve. We're able to uh, avoid what we now are experiencing is the depending on who you talk to, the second or third wave of the infection, but people don't seem to be inclined to do that. Um, People wanna be able to go into stores without wearing a mask. They see it as an encroachment on their individual liberties. Uh, They don't seem to understand that what we're doing is not only just protecting you, but protecting people in your environment. So your individual liberties trumps your um, obligation as a citizen to other people in your environment. So um, people aren't wearing masks. In many situations, people are having mass events where masks are not being worn and social distancing is not being encouraged. So we see an uptick in the spread of the infection. Um, That is turning out to be an issue. Uh, I was in a uh, grocery store that was actually handing out masks to people who didn't have them. And I saw a gentleman absolutely refuse to take it. And the poor lady who was trying to facilitate uh, the rules just had to relent. Um, and the guy went storming through the store with his cart and his child with no mask, even though she had given him one. So uh, if, citizens and members of the society don't have a stake in the outcome then we're not going to change the spread of the disease.
2: Yeah I think we're seeing some examples of that even overseas because even today both France and Germany announced that they're going back to quarantine shutdown modes because they had allowed certain freedoms in terms of individuals ability to circulate socially without you know, these protective measures and it resulted in um, tremendous spikes uh, uh, and spread of the disease. Did you, um, you happen to see those reports?
1: Yes, uh, and, and in fact, I suppose what it represents is that we're social creatures, social animals and it's really difficult for us to uh, limit our behavior. Uh, Even though, I guess, in other times, France and Germany, both were countries with war experiences, people made accommodations to the reality of the exigencies. Um, We are in a situation that, while not as comparable, but certainly uh, a pandemic is uh, a disaster in the making. Um, People um, need to exercise judgment. And so instead of rushing en masse back to the status quo ante, just this is why we've always done it. Let's get back to that. Uh, We've got to change our behavior. And that I think is the the thing that we're seeing in France and Germany and Italy and uh, Belgium and other countries. Um, This is what we're seeing in the United States. We don't have to go abroad to look at that seeing a number of rural communities and jurisdictions that previously had low prevalence uh, suddenly spiking because indeed the attitude was it's not going to affect us and we don't have to change our behavior. So uh, if you see public health as an encroachment on your constitutional right to be free of all encroachments, then um, you risk those exposures because the virus, doesn't respect your constitution.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, you you were talking about what's going on in some countries, but talk with us a little more about what is going on globally, with respect to COVID nineteen. Um, what countries are doing the best
1: job as far as um, containing the virus? Uh, we we keep hearing of some of the Asian countries, but uh, you know I, I don't like to get into this comparative thing. Um, in part because it's somewhat, (laughs) what you have to ask is what countries are conforming their behavior to good public health strategies? And I think that's the key issue. And you also then have to ask, can the United States do that? Can we in the United States do that? Uh, Comparing the United States to um, Japan or China or Korea um, is a non sequitur if we're not gonna change our behavior. Uh, I mean, I think we were seeing the European countries um, suddenly confronted with, as was pointed out, with this dilemma. Uh, We've done well, and now look what's happening. Uh, The virus hasn't gone away. We're now entering a period where we got the double whammy of the flu and the virus. So what are we prepared to do? Because if we don't change our behavior, um, nothing happens. And if other countries are willing to do that, then why aren't we willing to do that? So, and we all, the the protocols are the same. It's not that they have some secret sauce that works for them that wouldn't work for us. It would work for us if we would only do it. So wearing a mask, social distancing, if you are sick or infected, quarantining, self-quarantining, Those are the things that we have to work for. And and, and I'm not trying to avoid your question. I just think that um, what employers and workers and citizens have to understand is it's not a magic formula. It does wear on you. It can be boring. It does mean we have to change our behavior. But if we don't do those things, the fact that somebody else is doing them is irrelevant. We're still gonna get sick if we get sick, then our senior citizens get sick, our working age adults get sick. Um, and that poses a problem for us and not for somebody else in some other country. So that being, I think that's a key issue. That's what we're seeing. People believe they have a constitutional right to keep their faces bare. So maybe it's a permutation of the Second Amendment. Instead of having the right to bear arms, we have the right to bear faces.
2: So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, you know the numbers that we see reporting because a lot of times in the in the uh, mainstream we see the numbers but really kind of don't understand the meaning of of the numbers so we we know we just know that they're large uh, in terms of the number of cases and the number of deaths and so from the beginning of 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 this uh, virus to now um, can you take us on a journey as to the the fluctuation of the numbers and and what they mean in terms of how we're, you know, how we're proceeding with with getting this under control and where it might lead
1: us? Well, we were doing okay. So again, United States is a big country. So you have to look at uh, the United States in that way. Uh, So we currently have 227,000 deaths, uh, in the United States, we have over 8 million um, people who have um, tested positive. In the United States, um, 8.8 million to be um, closer. Uh, we lead the world in the number of positives, but uh, we India is following us, Brazil follows us. So the wax and waning of the disease seems to track the behavior of people. When you have these major events like South Dakota, when you have these major events like political rallies, when you have these events where people refuse to wear masks, then uh, you start getting an uptick, which we are currently experiencing. There's been an uptick in positive rates. Uh, We are doing a lot of testing, um, but the testing shows that um, if you look at it from uh, an epidemiologic point of view, we really shouldn't be spiking. We are spiking because we're picking up new infection. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're picking up new infection because people are not changing their behavior. So that's an issue. So we've got these uh, 227,000 deaths. We've got these uh, 8.8 million uh, cases. We'll continue to have cases. Um, ball games are being canceled. The events are being canceled. Schools are being uh, rethinking opening, in part because of uh, how we're being exposed. So, if I can't go to the supermarket because someone is adamant about wearing a mask, then that person may expose me, or I may expose that person. That person goes back and exposes somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. And that whole notion of the "are not" hasn't changed. Right. So, so do the
2: numbers tell us that our anything about our rate of infection versus you know some of the other countries who are who are wrestling with this?
1: Like you mentioned, Germany and uh, France, uh, the rate of infections is, is rising. So the numbers tell us that we are getting more infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the question is why now it was predicted that because of the flu season, we would, in the close proximity of people, we would start having more problems. Uh, businesses opened up, some restaurants were and bars were very adroit in social distancing, others were not. So what the numbers tell us is that people are being exposed. And the question is, well, where, where is this exposure occurring? It is occurring in social settings and social situations. So the numbers tell us, what should we be doing? And the epidemiologists keep telling us what we have been doing, even though it's I mean, toxic as far as some people are concerned. But um, we're not ready for prime time yet. You know, uh, schools around the country are
0: struggling Um, you just mentioned schools, and the approaches vary from hybrid models to completely online. Um, What what do we know as far as children being infected and the likelihood that they can transmit the disease to adults? And are there differences in how children are impacted?
1: Yes. um, Children don't seem to get as sick. Uh, They don't transmit as Often, But you have to keep in mind when you use the word children, you're dealing with an age range. So those who are five and six, seven, have a different uh, experience than those who are 16, 17, 18. So when people invoke schools, they invoke, you know, K through 12, but it's not K through 12. So the elementary school kids are in a different situation, although there are those who do get infected. So it's not zero. So, uh, but there are lower risk. But their teachers and the st- the administrative staffs are not in that same age range. So, <laughs> the, so the children can't teach themselves. So that's the conundrum. Children can't teach themselves. So they're relying on people who are at greater risk to uh, teach them now. Um, We know that once you get into high school, you're in a different setting and with different kinds of behaviors. Uh, We know college students are getting it. Uh, So in fact, one of the reasons why many colleges are um, uh, doing remote uh, learning is because of that. And we've seen that in some of the athletic settings where, oops, we have been too zealous on the other hand some schools have had a positive experience it's cooling off uh, and that requires the participation and cooperation of all participants the students and the faculty in those places where students are cognizant of their vulnerability uh, they appear to be having fewer problems with new infections Um, so again what are we willing to do? What is the employer willing to do? What is the worker willing to do? the employee? What is what are we willing to do to um, avoid uh, getting ourselves exposed? We've got new studies on airlines, for instance, um, about uh, reduced transmission possibility flying because of the the, the way circulation and the requirement that people wear a mask. And uh, yet there were videos recently of people refusing to do that. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to wear a mask. Uh, Excuse me, you're in a closed space. (laughs) And uh, and even though the ventilation issue is a very positive one, but people move up and down the aisle, people go to the restroom. So, and so it's not a perfect setting and the studies are not that comprehensive. So what we're asking people to do is to behave in a careful way. Having
2: flown recently, um, I noticed that, you know, there's there's not much um, regulation around how people wear those face masks once we get situated inside of the plane. Right. So people are going to make sure they have it on entering the airport and the, the gate in the plane and sitting in their seat. But once you're in flight, uh, people get real comfortable and it's very easy to pull the mask down, uh, you know, past your nose or or off. So I understand that. Um, what, what about uh, restaurants and retail businesses? Because we see uh, in most uh, states and cities, the retail businesses and restaurants starting to open up, um, they're, they're starting to serve indoors, those that already weren't doing that, bars are starting to open up. And so what is the uh, science and medical community talking about in terms of the major health concerns uh, around uh, these sorts of openings or what kind of warnings are they providing to patrons? Well, we're back
1: to (laughs) the fundamentals. Okay, if I have a small restaurant with tables close to each other and poor circulation, I've got a hotbed for a spreader event. If I've got a larger type restaurant with tables that are not close together and that we wipe down after every uh, person, uh, every party moves, leaves, and I got good circulation, then it appears that it's not much of an issue. But if I can't contain people's behavior, or rather they can't contain their own behavior, because I think it's unfair to impose on the restaurants and the retail setting, the responsibility for all of us. I think they have a responsibility for their setting and each uh, party, each consumer, Uh, has a responsibility for himself or herself. And if we can't get that, then we can't get, um, we can't change things. Retail is the same thing. Um, They've gotten kind of lax. I've noticed in terms of the six feet thing, people still want to crowd each other. Um, There was a lot of uh, care to wipe down surfaces that's kind of gotten loose uh, so, pandemic fatigue is going to be uh, the problem. So, uh, what are the obligations in those settings? Be mindful, the um, epidemic, the pandemic is still upon us. Uh, don't relent. Now, that becomes the, the approach. Um, if you can't get people in some communities, like in, um, in California, Uh, a number, well, the weather is a little better. We don't have uh, in Northern California, the the winters are not that severe, but uh, some of the streets have now been devoted to uh, outdoor eating so that people are not eating indoors, they're eating outdoors. So there's a lot of circulation and then the tables are set six feet apart. And so uh, these kinds of restaurant settings are, are, seem to be surviving. People again want to get out, they want to socialize, but you got to wear a mask, you got to sanitize after each party.
0: Let's take a few minutes to talk about vaccines. There's been so much discussion about um, pandemic won't go away until we have a vaccine. But let's start by talking about um, the process that's used to test and approve vaccines. And then we can get into the predictions for when it is that we might see one that's actually ready for um, people to start
1: taking. Okay. Um, What do you want to know about the process? As you already know, the FDA is in charge of the process. Um, We also know that uh, there are a a lot of companies jockeying for position to make vaccines. Mm -hmm. So we talked about that before. There are roughly 170 trials uh, in part being made. um, And we go from there. The truth of the matter is there are, in the preclinical setting, roughly 170 plus Um, preclinical experiences. So the FDA has this uh, algorithm, preclinical, phase one, where you test a small number of people to assess the safety of the product. Phase two, you broaden to a larger number of, of people, including people at higher risk of illness. Phase three, you now test it on thousands of people to check the effectiveness and safety and then phase the, the next phase is, is that it's pr- approved and then once it's approved there's the post marketing surveillance. So the FDA is wanting to make sure that at each step of the way care is taken so that what we're doing is making sure this stuff works and that people don't get hurt uh, as a result of this stuff. Now, in the clinical trials, some people may have adverse events, but we will, people volunteer for that. We don't want the, the population at large signing up for something that they, they've been assured is going to be okay with minimal risk, and suddenly there's a large risk. Uh, the FDA is looking at a, a vaccine that will either reduce symptoms or eliminate disease uh, or prevent disease in roughly 50% of the people who get it. So uh, it's not even foolproof for everyone, but uh, that process is underway. So um, over 170 uh, preclinical trials, 12 vaccines in phase one, 15 vaccines in phase two, 10 vaccines in phase three, nothing has been approved. The Chinese are gonna use it in their military. The um, uh, Russians are going, and they're not, waiting for the phase three trials. The Russians are not waiting for the phase three trials. But the question is, do we behave like the Chinese and the Russians, and we rush things to uh, market, and then we say, oops. We don't want that oops kind of situation. That's an awkwardness, and it's embarrassment, and uh, people feel that they've been experimented upon. Okay, given
0: all that, what are the predictions on when we might see one that's um, fit for, Folks in this country to, to take.
1: <laughs> well, we've got Operation Warp Speed. The federal government has invested uh, billions of dollars in that. So, um, June, maybe uh, we might get something a little earlier than that. Um, but, uh, you know, as you know, some have been some experiences already where people had to halt the trials while they sorted things out. Uh, So, um, some believe by the end of the year, January, others believe more practically June, but um, they cite the experiences that we've had in in the world with other vaccines, polio vaccine took seven years, measles nine years, uh, chickenpox 34 years months, four years, HPV, 15 years. Now, the coronavirus, virus, we think we will be able to do it much faster because we've got $9.5 billion being invested in the development. So um, January, uh, if you're lucky, June, um, pragmatically speaking, but you've got a host of countries uh, working on it. So it's not just the United States, so, uh, there, there's a lot of activity going on. So in place between January and June. So here, here's um, a
0: very intriguing question, I think. Um, first of all, can the government require um, citizens to, in this country, to uh, take the vaccine and whether employers can require employees to take the vaccine? <clears throat> and I know you're from fami- you're familiar with um, the court holdings of um, dealing with vaccines um, historically. So, what are your thoughts there?
1: Well, in the past, the courts have said yes, or pay a fine, or you know, what uh, there are standards that uh, uh, that have been employed you know, are you allergic, are you medically eligible? So if I'm allergic to the vehicle that carries the vaccine that I don't have to take it. So there are gonna be medical exceptions. Um, how painful is the vaccine? That's a medical exception. Uh, but if you're not in an accepted category, then the courts in the past have um, required have allowed jurisdictions to impose vaccines on people or you know, people can pay a fine. Um, that has been, that's an old case, it's been contested and so we'll see. Uh, precedent uh, unfortunately has, is not as convincing these days but um, if you've got some respect for states' rights states will have the option. But then, as we are seeing with regard to masks, I mean, some jurisdictions are refusing to require masks. So the real question is, can you have a federal requirement rather than a state requirement? Because how painful or inconvenient is a mask? So right. <laughs> if I don't have to, if you, if, I, if there's no requirement for me to wear a mask, why should there be a requirement for me to take a vaccine? Yeah. So uh, that's what we're really dealing with. So yes, there there are precedents, some jurisdictions will impose on their citizens and we'll see, and there will be challenges and we'll see where the new Supreme Court is. You know, we now have a 6-3 conservative court, but conservatives often respected the rights of jurisdiction states to do their thing. Um, I always like to invoke Plessy v. Ferguson as an example of deferring to state right or um, so you know
2: Well, with, with, with all of that, um, what then are some of the, the predictions and timeframes that are being discussed for when society will actually be free and clear or safe from the coronavirus? The last time we talked to you, I think we may have mentioned the fact that most businesses were seeing the February-March timeframe as being in, and since then, businesses have stated that. They don't see that coming until the end of the year, but it'd be interesting to hear in your circles, in the scientific community, when do they see it free and
1: clear? Well, I think people are hesitant to make those predictions, in part at this point in time, there's a a lot of uh, um, promotion of the disease is over, we've got it under control, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Again, if we've had the concerted cooperation of our respective citizens, then we might be in a different situation. Uh, But if I can't get people to wear masks, if I can't get people to socially distance uh, and I've got an infection, then what I'm actually relying on is when does the infection burn itself out? Yeah. Rather than what can we do? So for the employer, the issue is it depending on who her employees are, who his employees are, how they behave, what is the nature of the setting of the, uh, Entity, the company or the business that we're talking about. If you've got people who are behave in a high-risk fashion or who are at a high risk, then you're going to get one result. If you've got people who or settings that are have reduced risk, then you're going to get another result. So remember that there's the vaccine is operating on a premise that it can hold. Now there's some studies that are showing that the immunity that we thought that we would get from people who were previously infected just doesn't seem to be holding. So if you only get a three to four month immunity from even having the disease, then it's gonna take a little longer. Uh, But operation work speed, the investment of multiple governments, we're gonna know a lot more. We're also gonna know a lot more about people's behavior. So for the employer, the question is, um, what are my obligations to my employees? How can I help my employees behave in a reasonable fashion? And where do I go from there? Um,
0: Those are some good questions. In terms of last words, Dr. Clark, what are your kind of top three pieces of advice that you give to employers out there trying to figure out how to adjust to the realities, the impact of this new normal created by
1: the coronavirus? Well, you got to work with your employees. First of all, you yourself as an employer have to realize that this is a new normal, that we're not going to return to the status quo ante anytime soon, that, of course, you're in business to make money. But given all the legal stuff and the public health stuff, you're gonna have to figure out how to be flexible and adaptive uh, and innovative in that new environment. Um, If you're not committed to doing that, then it may make it difficult for you to expect things to radically change. Um, And then of course your workforce, because if you've got uh, a sick workforce or injured workforce, then uh, even if you can replace people if you've got policies where people are continually getting ill uh, then your goals and objectives won't be met so flexibility uh, being agile uh, understanding the need to adapt to the new environment those are important then what are you saying to your employees how are you communicating with your employees uh, how are you getting them to go along with the program? As uh, we've talked about people on a plane, people are not willing to, I can't tell you how often I've seen people with their noses above their masks. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm convinced that most of those people are not sick. <laughs> so they, in terms of having breathing difficulties, they just find it inconvenient. So yeah. how do you have a workforce where uh, people are willing to compromise and protect each other, because that's the theme. It isn't that I'm just worried about myself, It's I should need to worry about my fellow employees, My, uh, if I'm in a retail business, the, the customers in the business you don't want to get a reputation of having of people coming to your business and getting sick from having bid in your business. Yeah. That, doesn't, if you're, that doesn't go if you're a restaurateur or a retail business where your stock and traders, is um, consumers who come and go. Right. Uh, or, a or a workplace. Or a workplace. That's true. So uh, those are two things that I think. And then the third thing is paying close attention to what's going on in your local community, the rules pu- from the public health community and the uh, the uptick in the disease. A lot of information keeps coming in that's there's locally driven. So uh, you just need to track that. So, but we need business in our society. People need jobs. Uh, so it isn't about forcing people out of businesses is about adapting just as we've always adapted. I mean, people talk about new technology, changing the workforce and, and employers adapt to the new technology. So we're capable of doing that. I don't know how many uh, companies deliver their goods by horse and buggy. Um, so they made the transition <laughs> So and uh, when I talk to uh, young people that I teach uh, about typewriters, uh, how many businesses <laughs> still use typewriters? They do know yeah. what that is. <laughs> oh, <Exactly. right. laughs> so we've changed and we've adapted to new technologies. People are on the Internet. People have Twitter accounts. People have this. We can do this. So that's the bizarre part. We We have done it it. over and over and over again. And yet here we have something that's just another challenge and people are saying we can't do it.
2: You're you're very right in that respect. Well, once again, uh, we'd like to really thank you for providing us with these updates on how uh, this pandemic has evolved uh, since the last time we spoke. You've provided us with so much valuable information and insight. And uh, who knew that these discussions would continue nine, to a full nine to 10 months after it who was knew? recorded. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate all the brilliant and excellent information you've provided, Dr. Clark. And, and we thank you for uh, being a, 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 such an effective and informative friend of today's workplace.
1: Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's
0: T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E.com.